Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 135, where in a moment we look at national savings and investments. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes to date, we've featured loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time we looked at capital investment bonds. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. Joining me this week in place of our usual host, Phil Anderson, once again is Phil's colleague, Andrew Schooler. Hi, Andrew. Hi, John. Thanks for having me along today. This week, we're discussing NS. And I, now I think in the past we've spoken about various aspects of or specific services offered by NS and I, but never the entire entity. So, so what does it stand for? What's the background? All of that good stuff. Give us a background when it, when it comes to NS and I, please. Well, NS and I stands for National Savings and Investments. Best way to describe NS and I, they're, they're like the, the, the nation's savings bank, really. It's a, it's a financial institution that's backed by UK government. So the Treasury is backed, the savings, and it gives a place where people can save money and a variety of different types of products. And we'll get into more detail about the different types of products that are available, but they provide a range of savings vehicles that are either accessible or tied up for a set period of time. But it's a, it's a great place for cash-based savings. Okay. I imagine it's been around for a while, Andrew. When did it start? Well, it was originally formed with the Post Office Savings Act in okay. 1861. So wow. it's been around for a long, long time. It was originally known as the Post Office Savings Bank, and it was basically a way for uh, the government to help raise finances because you could save money through the, the post office. And I think the charter was originally set up to say that within an hour of every person's fireplace, there is a place to save money. Oh, wow. So that, that, that was their original plan, all done through the post office. It's then kind of evolved to what we see now as not just being through the post office, but being internet-based, you know, however a client wants to to access, and they've got that options. What was the need that, that sort of determined, that, you know, prompted its launch? Presumably that was government-instructed and overseen. 100%. You know, this is basically a way for, you know, we, we, we speak about bonds and gilts and investments. Bonds and gilts are loans to large corporations, governments. This is a way that a government can raise or our government can raise money so then they can either use it for infrastructure they can use it for their money that the government needs really so basically it was set up it became very very important during wartime mm-hmm. there were a number of war bonds victory bonds issued and this was basically a way that you know the the government could raise funds to help with war efforts, etc. That side of things. So money was put in for a set period of time. You had a fixed interest rate attached to it, and then you would get your capital plus interest back at the end of the the bond term. 
It's quite a good little um, history lesson, this, as well as a, a finance one. Do they offer the the same kinds of financial product that your your high street bank has available? So current accounts, credit cards, mortgages, or do they differ? No, they, they are purely savings only. So if you think about what a bank would offer from savings accounts, um, they do the same. So you can get a cash ISA from SNI. You can get a what's sometimes known as a term deposit or a fixed rate bond. You can get that from NSNI. But but there's also other things. There's premium bonds that they offer as well. And we'll go into more detail about premium bonds later on. And green savings bonds as well, which is a relatively new product that they, that, that they have available. So basically, it, it's savings products that they offer. That's all that they deal with. But yeah. Okay, one of the ones um, we've spoken about before, and you mentioned it there, when it comes to NSNI, is premium bonds. And every time I think of premium bonds, I think of my nana or my mother-in-law, because premium bonds were big for nana, probably around the same time pools coupons were big for granda. And I think the thing that appealed most was you could win a prize, and you still can. Tell us about premium bonds, Andrea, and whether they're a good idea or a good spend. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm a fan of premium bonds, and I've got a theory about premium bonds I'll come to in a second. <laughs> okay. The essence of a premium bond is like a lottery. It's a lottery that you're never going to lose money on. So you buy uh, you buy premium bonds. The maximum you can hold is £50,000 worth of premium bonds. The minimum amount you can put in is £25, so it's in £25 increments. You have a 1 in 24,000 chance of winning a prize, and the minimum prize is £25, so in theory, if you've got £50,000, you've got a 1 in 24,000 chance of getting a prize. So every month you should be getting at least £25 return. But it's not just £25. It can go all the way up to a million pounds. So, you know, th- they speak about an interest rate and an expected interest rate of around 3.3% is, is what you should expect from premium bonds. But if you've put in £25, but you win a million pounds... Win-win. That's a far greater return. Now, theory that I've got around premium bonds, and I've never actually uh, tried this out in, in reality, but you seem to be luckier when you first buy premium bonds and then things tail off. So I've always thought, saying, well... Put fifty thousand pounds into premium bonds, and you'll be very lucky right at the start, and you know throughout the first <laughs> few years. And as things start to tail off, sell them, rebuy them, and then see if you're luckier that way. I've never tried that myself <laughs> or with any clients, but that's I've I've got a few premium bonds myself, and that that seems to be the way that things have gone. I mean, to be fair, to try out that experiment, you have to have a a, a fair about a fair amount of disposable cash, just sort of you know swirling around there to to go and do that so you can win you said a million is the maximum premium bonds yeah okay i suppose more to the point is how likely is that you'll win with premium bonds but you've covered that as well is there a limit on how much you can put in it's fifty thousand. you said is that per year or is that total maximum per person is fifty thousand pounds so if there's a couple you can have fifty thousand pounds each but this is an individual account that you hold in your name and the maximum that can go in is fifty thousand pounds and remember, you can actually buy them as a saving gift for under 16. So, you know, you speak about your Nana. I, I remember my son received a thousand pounds of premium bonds from his 
great grandma who was a huge fan of premium bonds. And it's a very popular uh, option. But yeah, it, you know, there was one of the questions you asked, is it a good idea? It's definitely an option. My view is it's not, there. there isn't really any risk attached to it. The risk attached to it is that you, you don't get as much interest as you maybe would do from a bond, but it's accessible. It, it's it's not like the lottery. You're not going to lose money in it. it. It's a case of it's there. There's the potential for greater returns than 3.3%, but that's kind of what we'd be expecting. It's quite a nice thing, premium bonds, isn't it, really? And and they've, yeah. they've obviously done a number and, and really struck it home with a certain generation of people. Now, what else does NSNI do? Okay, well, they do a variety of different, you know, like your normal types of savings accounts. So they, they know that they're known as direct savers. So basically an instant access savings account that mm. you can put money in as and when required. You can take money out as and when required. There's an interest rate attached to that. You're looking at around about 2.85%. They also do ISAs. So individual savings account, and I know we've spoken about ISAs in the past on the programs before. These are cash ISAs. So again, have a fixed interest rate attached. You know, there's only so much money you can put into an ISA each tax year. They do junior ISAs, and then so junior ISAs obviously for 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 children, but they also do bonds as well. So they do the likes of green savings bond, guaranteed income bond, guaranteed growth bond. And income bonds as well. Now, the term bond means it's in for a set period of time. So this okay. can either be a year to three years, depending on the product. So the great thing with that is you've got a guaranteed interest rate. Always tends to be a little bit higher than an instant access savings account. But your money is tied up. You cannot access it until it matures at the end. And then you've got quite a limited window to say what you want to do, you, you've you've got around a month to then say, do you want to take it out? Do you want to reinvest it? So you kind of need to be on the ball. Obviously, they tell you about this and they inform you that this is going to be happening, but it's possible to miss and then it rolls over for another year. So just something to be aware of. I always remember when I was about 15, my, my Uncle Jimmy set up an account for me at the post office. So NS and I, he stuck £100 in it because they had a, a guaranteed rate of interest at the time, provided that the cash remained untouched. And if you, you wanted anything out of the account, you could get it, but it took something like 30 days after you filled in a form and triplicated a post office counter. So this would have been when I was around 15. Do you want to try and guess what the rate of interest and offer was, Andrew? Well, uh, so off the top of my head, interest rates were quite high at that point in time. So I'm I'm not going to divulge your age. Oh, I'm, too much I'm, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I, you know, there's a lot of interest in there as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if we're looking at around about the 1990s, we, we're, we're at a high interest rate. So Bank of England base rate was around 13% around about yeah. then. So, you know, if we look at returns, you'd probably be guessing around about 10%. Yeah, spot, spot on. It was it was about 10%. Great right now. I know, isn't it? Absolutely. I wonder how it compares to the likes of the Young Saver accounts or the Easy Access accounts today. In fact, it, it, I bet that it's a better rate of interest than any of them, is it? Oh, massively. You know, yeah. it, what, what you always find is savings rates tend to work on slightly lower than the Bank of England base rate. So Bank of England base rate at the moment is 4.25%. It may go up in the future, but at the moment, at the time of recording, 4.25%. So, you know, kids' savings accounts, you know, ranging from 
3.4% round about there, up to 4% on a bond. So it's always going to be lower than the Bank of England base rates. But, you know, it just is what it is. I noticed you mentioned green savings bonds. Now, this sounds like it might be something from a, a growing sector that we've looked at before. Is it ethical investing? How does the uh, absolutely uh, the green savings bond work then? Okay, so but basically the green savings bond, now the, the government has a strategy for reducing requirements to fossil fuels, etc. They're looking at putting in place infrastructure that will help promote their net zero goal by, I think it's... 2050. Um, So basically what the green bonds do is you're putting money into a savings bond. Now, this is a three-year bond. So the other bonds are one year. This is a three-year bond and is specifically going to be used to help help the government's net zero strategy. So basically putting things in place to help with infrastructure to attain their net zero. So yeah, if, if people have concerns about ethical investment they want to help promote that side of things it's a really good option Hmm, absolutely Uh, i see ennis and i also do income bonds now we spoke in our last episode about capital investment bonds what are income bonds exactly they're similar in the name that they have bond in the name but they are still a savings account so investment bond capital investment bond is an investment it's invested in a portfolio goes up and down with performance of the portfolio guaranteed income bond is uh, um, it's a savings vehicle, but it will pay an income to your bank account every month. So rather than interest building up in the bond and then take it at maturity, it will be paid out on a monthly basis over a, fix, a fixed interest over a set period of time. So you can invest X amount of money anywhere from 500 to a million pounds, and the interest will then be paid back into your bank account. You can treat it as an income does count towards your interest taxation on interest and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit but the interest is paid back into your account on a monthly basis okay and if you're interested how, how do you go about opening an, an account with with that in mind predominantly they're they're online now so their website's really good you can apply online you can fill things out online and um, they do say though if you're not comfortable doing things online you can give them a call and they can get paperwork sent out to you to then apply for whatever product that you're looking for um there's also some information still within the post office that they may be able to help with regards to nsni applications okay can financial advisors recommend nsni products and if so do they yeah, it's it's an interesting one because we probably need to define, you know, recommend and, and implementation because they're, they're two separate things. So me as a financial advisor, when I'm recommending an investment, I'll recommend the provider, how it's invested, and then I'll implement it as well. So I'll set everything up. So client signs paperwork and we do all that side of things. Right. We, we can easily recommend NSNI, but we can't implement it. So it has to be done the client does it directly with NSNI. So I, you know, a lot of clients ask me, where should I keep my cash-based savings? And I've, I've maybe spoken about this in the past. I, I always work on a, a three-pot strategy when it comes to savings and investment. So pot one is your day-to-day spending money. Pot two is a um, emergency fund. So cash-based savings and pot three is the investment money. So pensions, ISAs, general investment account, et cetera. 
So a lot of clients say, well, what should I do with my pot two? What should I do with my cash-based savings? There's absolutely nothing wrong with looking at NSNI, and there can actually be some significant benefits of using NSNI, whether it be premium bonds or their direct savings accounts. So I'm I'm more than happy to, to have that conversation with clients. It also opens up another conversation around financial protection as well that you know a lot of people are concerned about as well. Okay. Which is what exactly? Okay. So financial institutions. So if you have a savings account with a high street bank or any other financial institution, if they go bust, you are protected for up to £85,000 per person for the financial institution. doesn't matter how many accounts you've got. With that financial institution, it's £85,000 tops. There are clients who are concerned that they have too much money with a financial institution. Now, absolutely, you can open up bank accounts with every other uh, high street bank. But if you go down the route of NSNI, there is no limit on what you're protected for. Every single penny that you have with NSNI are back, is backed by the government. So um, it's very, very, very unlikely the government's going to go bust. So for a lot of people, <laughs> if they go bust, this is going to be the least of our worries, let's be honest. Um, we're going to be bartering with shells and doing all that stuff. Different slant on the show. A little bit, yeah. Let's, yeah. Last week it was crypto. Last week it was crypto. This week it's jam jars. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Absolutely. But, but, you know, clients are concerned about that. They'll say, well, okay, I want to ensure my money's protected. Well, NSNI, you can have all of the money that you hold with NSNI will be 100% protected by the government. So, So obviously, yeah, very safe. Oh, 100%, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a winner then, especially if you're you're risk averse, you know, if you've got a bit to invest and you don't care if you don't see any of it for a while. Yeah, you, you know, it, it's, again, it serves a purpose within an overall financial plan. Again, financial planning isn't just about having everything in one place. It's, you know, we've spoken about diversification so much in the past. This is just another form of diversification. It's ensuring you're getting the best return from that part of your money. Risk averse, absolutely grand. People that are concerned about financial protection, brilliant. People that are looking for ethical savings accounts as well, great. Good option. Okay. Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's contact details coming up. I'll give it to you after these. Okay, Andrew, in Phil's absence, both these queries will fall to you. The first is from Fiona in Leven. Hi, Andrew. I'm never sure what to think. The budget incorporated an independent forecast, which suggested the rate of inflation would be back down to around target level by the end of the year. But I watch the news and financially, it always seems doom and gloom for Britain. In simple terms, is it getting better or not? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult one to answer, John, because we just don't know... You know, we, we don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. We can look at a number of indicators to say, how are things improving? Now, if we look at from a stock market point of view, there's a number of key indicators. We look at levels of key indexes, so FTSE 100, Dow Jones. There's also an index as well called the VIX, V-I-X which is basically a fear index that, that's used. You know, if you have a look on Bloomberg, they'll be speaking about VIX all the time. And basically, that is how volatile do we think things are going to be going forward. And it's actually very, very low at the moment. There's 
all the key indicators to say things are improving. FTSE 100 is at a very high level at the moment. The American markets are growing. Um, you know, we've still got issues. We've still got the war in Ukraine going on at the moment. So, so that's having an impact. We've still got high inflation. It is the forecasts are for it to start coming down. But, you know, are things getting better? I, I wouldn't say they're getting any worse at the moment. That's famous last words. And I'm going to touch <laughs> with all that side of things just now. But they don't seem to be getting any worse. So it might just take a while for for us to be back in a better position. But again, it, it's what do you class as better? You know, what, what does better mean to that person? Does that yeah. mean lower inflation? Does it mean higher interest rates? Does it mean better pay? You know, it's, I'm, it's, it's I'm a- going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a punt at this and just say, so I've got more money in my pocket to get stuff. So as opposed to being stuffed and not having the money in my pocket in the first place. So whatever it does that, you know, so I guess it's a combination, isn't it? You get paid more interest rates come down in terms of where the inflation comes down so prices in the shops aren't as bad it's a combination but effectively it's it's so that you feel better off isn't it yeah and 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 this is it exactly it's i think that that's the key is when you feel more financially comfortable then yeah you you need those things to happen you need wages to go up you need inflation to come down ideally you know the, the issue with inflation it's constantly ongoing it's not you know, if inflation goes down, prices are still going up. They're just not going up as much as they were before. So if we've got 10% inflation just now, it means things are 10% more than they were last year. If we have 7% inflation, they're still 7% more than they were last year, but they're just not rising at the same rate, if that makes sense. Yeah. And we want it down to the target is about something like two, isn't it? It's about 2%. Yeah, yeah. Bank, yeah. yeah. Bank of England have got a target of 2%. Okay, uh, next up, here's one from from Peter in Stevenage who says, Hi, Andrew, I've been saving for a lump sum to put down on a property almost all my life since I started earning. I'd like to save more, but my rent costs so much now, I can't afford to. And I wonder if I should just settle and buy somewhere smaller than I'd hoped simply to survive financially because I don't see it improving dramatically to the point that I should hang on. What do you think? Yeah, and and yeah, this is a really interesting one. It's kind of very similar to it's a similar theme to the the previous question: Are things getting better? You know, when we speak about buying property, we always speak about different rungs on the ladder, and you're working your way up the property ladder. So there is something to be said about having a property, so you're no longer paying rent because a lot of people see rent as wasted money. They're paying somebody else's mortgage. So the sooner you can get on the property ladder, the sooner you can start repaying your mortgage, the less time you'll have you'll need for you know, your your mortgage to run for, etc. So yeah, it's it, it's a difficult one. Um as long as he's going to be happy within the property that he's going to be buying, albeit smaller, he can always move again in the future. Yes, there's costs involved, stamp duty moving costs, etc., that side of things, but Really, I think the crux of it is saying, well, if you're not making any headway with regards to increasing your deposit size, because remember, property prices could be increasing as well. They could come down, but historically, they've always really gone up in value. So it may be a sensible move to say, right, okay, rather than going for the forever home straight away, I move into, I buy something that's smaller, 
I've got a mortgage, I'm repaying the mortgage, you plow as much as you can into that, and then you look at doing the next move later on down the line. Okay. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 135 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you also to our guest host, Andrew Schooler, filling in for Phil on this occasion. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. 